Welcome to the Unstoppable Grit Podcast, where we dive into the mindset shifts and practical tools to help you break through the roadblocks standing between you and achieving your goals. I'm your host, Danielle Kobo, a former Fortune 500 senior sales manager who spent 15 years in the medical device industry and now the best-selling author of the book, Unstoppable Grit. Think of this podcast as your go-to source for career advice and burnout prevention strategies to help you build a career and life you love. Now let's get started. Today's guest is Caitlin Donovan. Has She has a master's degree in Chinese medicine and spent well over a decade of her life in foreign countries. As a keynote speaker and coach, she works with organizations and individuals on overcoming burnout. Caitlin is the author of The Bounce Back Ability Factor, In Burnout, Gain Resilience, and Change the World. She is also the host of Fried the Burnout Podcast with Caitlin Donovan, and she is also... She shares my love for chocolate, which we just, we were talking about either savory or sweet, and we could probably do both. So we have gone through your accomplishments and some of the successes you've had in your life and traveling all over the world, but tell us a little bit about your career journey. So I started my career journey really always planning to be a doctor. So when I started college, I was a pre-med student, biology major, Eastern religion minor. But I was the science girl. I was I did AP science courses in high school, and that was my that was my, that was my shtick. And I went to Boston University on a full academic scholarship, nearly, and realized really quickly that med school and becoming a doctor, which I had planned my whole entire life for, was not really my thing. And I didn't realize it at the time, but one of the reasons I didn't want to get into medicine was because I thought that med school was going to burn me out. I didn't know the words burnout at the time, but I did a course called the sociology of uh, medical school in my sophomore year. And it was, I, we had to read a book. I can't remember what it was titled, but I remember the story distinctly about someone going through med school and how miserable it was. And I was thinking to myself, I'm from a family that doesn't have a lot of financial means. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have a quarter of a million dollars in debt. I'm going to work 80 to a hundred hours a week. And then I'm finally going to get a job. And then I'm not even going to get paid that much when you consider the malpractice insurance and the student loan payments that I have to make. So, and I'm not going to be done with school and working and actually making any money until I'm like well over 30. And I just sat there and I was like, what the heck am I doing? So I went to an advisor for one of my classes. Her name is Livia Cohn, and she's the world's foremost scholar of Taoism. And I went into her office hours and I said, Livia, I don't know what the F I'm going to do. And she said, well, just do Chinese medicine. And I said, what the hell is that? I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no knowledge. I had nothing. And so I started digging into it. I got some books. I got gifted some books. Chinese medicine and acupuncture, the the theory behind it opened up an entire world of viewing the body and the person in such a holistic way that I jumped in like it was a new religion. Like I was a neophyte. I wanted to tell everybody about it. I didn't know why everybody wasn't doing it. I was like, everybody, look, 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 you know? And so I moved from Boston to San Diego. I did my master's degree. And during that time, I met somebody from a foreign country and ended up marrying him. 
moved to his country as soon as I finished school. So I moved from California to Poland, from the sunshine to the gray and, and cold. And that was where I started working as an acupuncturist. It's really hard to build a business in a company where you don't, in a country where you don't speak the language. So I worked real hard. I learned the language fluently. I started by working in a fertility clinic. So I did almost only acupuncture for fertility for the first four or five years. Then I opened a private practice. It was incredibly successful, almost embarrassingly so. And it got to the point, this is where my burnout started. I didn't know that yet, but it got to the point where every time my phone rang and it was a number I didn't know, I was so petrified that it was going to be another patient who wanted me. I already had a three-month waiting list. People were demanding my time. I was exhausted. And I just couldn't handle the pressure. I didn't know as much about entrepreneurship at the time. If that was me today, I would have hired a receptionist, a cleaning lady, another acupuncturist. There's a million things I would have done differently. I didn't know how to do that without fear of money. Like I said, I didn't grow up with any financial solvency. I didn't have the, the information. So I didn't know that hiring a receptionist would make me more money. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand how that worked at the time. So I, I just burned myself out until my body started breaking down. I had a thyroid issue that came, you know, all these things sort of broke down. And I told my husband, this is clearly Poland's fault. It's this country has nothing to do with me because I had tried, I'd done life coaching and I had done all these things to change my own mindset, the silver lining and finding the positive. And I was doing meta loving kindness meditations in grocery stores so that I wouldn't hate people. Like I was, I was really efforting to make it work for me. But the fact was not that Poland is a terrible place. There's a million beautiful things about Poland. It's not good soil for me. I, I am a plant that cannot be planted and flourish there. And that's just, there's nothing bad or good about it. It just is what it is. So I told my husband we needed to move. He got a job in Prague. So we moved to Prague. I started all over again, another business, another language, <laughs> another practice. And I didn't know that I was burnt out. So in the first couple of years, you kind of go in and out of it, or I kind of went in and out of it because I would, was so excited by being there. It's such a lovely place to live. And I wasn't overworking, so I kind of was thinking I was okay, but then I would get like super fatigued and I was having the same emotional reactions as before. So I was still in this cycle and I couldn't seem to figure it out. And then one day I read an article about burnout and the rest, as they say, my dear, is history. So a lot of times people will say things like, well, that's a good problem to have. You're so yeah. busy. You've got a, a three-month waiting list for clients and patients that want to see you. And clearly you're really good at what you do, but at, to what expense? Mm. You're, you're supporting everybody else, but not yourself. And so tell us a little bit about this article and how did this epiphany moment happen? And what steps did you take to get past that burnout, to overcome that burnout and now be an expert on burnout. X amount of years later, <clears throat> the, I, I don't remember what the article was titled. I just remember sitting at my desk and stumbling upon it. And you know, everybody I'm sure 
has had these moments in their lives. So I'm going to describe something and I'm going to hope that you're, you're with me on this. You find something and it resonates so strongly that you get goosebumps and you know, deep, like you feel it in the core of your soul, not even your heart, in the core of your very being. You're like, oh, that's true for me. And I was reading through it and my whole body just kept sort of overflowing with this magnetism to the to the word and to the concept. And I was thinking, oh my God, I don't understand how this could have happened to me. When you're an acupuncturist, the only thing you learn is how stress affects the body. You learn it through a different set of words than you would learn in like now I'm doing another degree in biobehavioral health. So I'm learning all the Western science words. It's a different set of words, but it's the same things. So I was already a stress management expert. How the hell did I end up here? And so I knew at that point, I'm a big DIYer. I do everything on my own. This was part of the, you know, kind of financial issues that I grew up with. It meant that figure it all out without paying anybody to help you is a terrible idea. But that was the first time in my life where I stopped and I thought, I need outside people. So a lot of people that I know that work in burnout coaching now have this idea of like, it took me so much to get through it all by myself and I didn't have any help. So now I want to help other people. Uh Uh-uh, not me. I got help and I know how valuable it is. And that's why I do what I do. I had a coach, I had a therapist, and once I got through some things and I had enough energy to focus on more, then I had a functional medicine practitioner. We did a whole 30, we did some supplements, but I had to do it step by step. So I had at least three other practitioners that I worked with to get me through burnout. But the biggest piece for me at the end of the day was removing myself from being overly involved in making everyone else comfortable all the goddamn time. And as women, one of the biggest challenges that I hear from women all the time is this overwhelming feeling because it's a challenge of setting boundaries. And without good boundaries, women, they easily find themselves in that overwhelmed and that burnout. And it's constantly that pleasing everybody else. There's this fear, especially in your career, because a lot of my listeners are in corporate America. And one of the fears they have is if I am given an opportunity to be involved in a special project or something at work, there's this fear of if I say no, then those special projects are never going to come back to me. Or if I don't say yes to this, if I stay, if I don't say less more hours, they're going to think that I'm not prioritizing work and prioritizing my family more than that. So it's this fear and this fear of, of judgment and guilt and shame and upsetting other people. We're so focused on everybody else versus ourselves. So what are some steps that our listeners can take to really create those boundaries and move past those thoughts of shame and guilt and fear? So here's the thing about the emotional part. You on fried, when you were on fried, you talked about taking the time to feel the emotions and you have to do that. I am not going to sit here and tell people that they can create boundaries and not feel crappy. 
you're probably going to feel crappy because it is difficult, because it is different, because you are shifting people's expectations. And it's just not going to be fun at first. It buys you space and time and joy and fun after. However, I think it does us a real disservice to say, just say no and don't feel guilty and no is a complete sentence and then walk away. It's a much messier process than that. And when I was going through this on my own, one of the things that I noticed most frequently was that I want to help people that are not asking for my help. So, for instance, I tell this story a lot because this is a good example. I took the train, uh, the tram in Prague every day to get to work because it doesn't make sense to do anything else. It's just very convenient. It goes everywhere. It's fast. It, there's no parking. The streets are this wide, you know. So you take the tram everywhere. And I would get on the tram and it would be full in the morning because people are going to work. It's normal. And somebody's sitting in the seat for the differently abled slash elderly slash pregnant slash ill slash whatever the hell, you know, but it's, there's a sign that says like, don't sit here unless you need it. And somebody would inevitably be sitting there and then we'd be pulling up to the next stop and there'd be an old lady, 98 years old with a cane and a handbag, you know, climbing up onto the trim at the next stop. And I would be staring at the person sitting in the seat that I think should belong to this old lady. And I'm judging them. Meanwhile, I don't know if they have an invisible illness, like who the hell am I? And I'm, I, I need to get involved. I'm the person that would be like, excuse me, could you get up so she could sit down, please? All the while thinking that I am so kind and so considerate and so helpful. So I'm putting myself up on this, like, you're going to be useful and you're going to help somebody and therefore people will be grateful to you and therefore you will be worth something. This is where I found my value in the world. And very frequently, the old woman would say, oh, I'm just going one stop. Don't worry about it. Right? And it's like, I had to stop putting myself in that position and being in this place where I was constantly searching my environment for other people's assumed discomfort that I thought that I could solve, right? Because when you're doing that, you're really messing a few things up. One of them is you're being really judgmental, which is just making a lot of assumptions, not being curious, being really judgmental. Number two, number two you're being the moral police. Right, because my morality and my rules are the correct rules. Like that's total nonsense. And number three, you're disempowering the people that you are purporting to help. So this old woman who's 98 years old, who's climbing onto the tram, she's probably been riding that tram by herself for 92 years. What in my body, mind, being thinks that she needs my help? Asking somebody to stand up if she, I mean, she's literally been doing this her whole entire life. She's probably lived in that same apartment and taken the same tram every day for 96 years. What the hell am I doing? So it's situations like this. That's where I started. I didn't start at home. I didn't start with my family. I didn't start with my patients. I started out in the world. Where am I entering situations? situations that are not asking for my assistance. And I started sort of looking and saying, and just pulling myself back. I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to state a boundary. I didn't have to change expectations with anyone. This was all internal work. 
And I think this is the most important part of boundary setting that everyone is missing. Everyone's teaching us what sentences to use to say no, when really, before we can get there, we need to learn how to not over-involve ourselves. Exceptions to the rules. If there's an emergency, you know, obviously, don't walk away and say, oh, that's not my problem. But I guarantee you, there's 12 times a day that your energy does not need to be in somebody else's situation. We will be right back to today's episode. Women are constantly feeling rushed and exhausted. With the focus on doing, women have trouble focusing without guilt while at work. While at home, they deal with lingering work on their mind. The result is negative self-talk and lack of connection in all areas of their life. I serve women who feel burnt out and overwhelmed. I show them how to achieve their goals without sacrificing their personal life. In 2019, my husband served a year deployment. Our twins were two years old and I led a team for a Fortune 500 company with 60% overnight travel. I've experienced firsthand being a working mom, trying to balance it all. And that year was among one of my most productive years. I invite you to go to the show notes and check out the link to the burnout to fired up workbook with actionable steps on how to regain balance in your life. Now back to today's episode. I like how you say that, that introspective, and you said something that really resonated, which is almost taking the power away from the other person. One of the biggest mistakes I've learned when I was a manager, one of the mistakes that I did was I kind of projected this, well, I know you're in, I know my reps were my, my team, they'd be out in the field and I didn't want to ask them to do anything more. And so what would happen is I would sometimes take on that responsibility. Oh, don't worry. I'll do it for you. Oh, I did this for you. Oh, I did this for you. And the reality is, is I was taking away the opportunity for them to be in a position where they were learning a new skill, where they were stepping up as a leader, where they were able to, I would be able to delegate something and then they were able to take the lead on that. And now we're developing the skills that they wanted to be in, maybe being promoted into a new role or exposure to somebody in the company. And I'll always remember that at looking back, that that was one of the biggest mistakes I made as a manager was trying to take on everything and what it was doing, it was counterintuitive. It was stripping some of the people on my team the opportunity to learn and develop and, and fail because it's okay to fail. As long as I'm there to be there and kind of be like, okay, you know, it's okay. This is a learning lesson. We'll do this together. But to really acknowledge that. Learning that your help is not helpful can be really jarring. Mm-hmm. It kind of can, it kind of can sometimes bruise the ego a little bit. Bruises mm-hmm. the ego a little. Yeah. Some pride I'm, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm well beyond this. So I can talk about this now with quite a bit of distance because this was, you know, we're talking 2016. So this is six, seven years ago at this point, but God, that's how I, that's what I thought made me a good person. So shifting out of it required me a, to pay attention B, to sit with the uncomfortable emotions. C, to re-embody my own energy so that I could be aware of what my needs were in various situations. I didn't know how to meet my own needs because I was constantly scanning the environment to see what somebody else needed. I'm the girl that's going to fill your water at somebody else's house. 
I'm like, oh, the host didn't notice. This girl needs water. You know, that's not my job. That person can ask for water. Like, what am I doing? So by doing that, in addition to your help not being helpful to other people, you also have no ability to stay present in your own world. And therefore, you cannot meet your own foundational basic needs. How many times do you avoid going to the bathroom because you're finishing an email for somebody else because you don't want to interrupt a meeting because you don't want to I say it on the podcast all the on, on my podcast all the time like one of the things you need to do to recover from burnout is pee when you need to pee. And that sounds ridiculous. It's really funny because we had just recorded I was just a guest on on your podcast the the um fried and burnout podcast. And I, before we jumped onto my podcast, I said, Hey, can I have five minutes so I can go use the restroom real quick? Yeah. <laughs> her and I have been downing water because we're, you know, obviously talking through these, but yeah, taking the time to take care of yourself. Taking so I wouldn't those... be sitting here shaking my legs all the time. And being hour. uncomfortable and wanting to rush through the conversation. And mm-hmm. you're not doing me a favor by not going to the bathroom. And this is so hard for us to grasp. So I think before we get into all the tools, which obviously we don't have time for all the tools on boundaries today, but before getting into all the tools for how to have the conversations and who to have them with and how to create boundaries that are clear, kind, and concise, I have a set of rules. I have all these things. But before you do any of that, learn to let people serve themselves, create an environment especially in your workplace, that is psychologically safe for your teams so that when they do need your help, they'll ask for it. Then you can show up. When they need you, they need you. But they've got to be able to learn, to grow, to develop, to... You know how many people feel stuck because they're not given that extra thing? Don't rob people of the opportunity to grow because you need to be a martyr. That Say that again. Don't rob people of the opportunity to grow because you need to be a martyr. Mm. Let that I say this with love. <laughs> yeah. But let that sink in a little bit. Because a lot of times when we're being the martyr, it's self-serving. Always. It's but always serving self-serving. Others. Mm-hmm. It's always self-serving. And that's the really tough thing. Like if you are a person who is consistently saying, I'm doing all these things for all these people and they don't appreciate it. I'm not getting back what I give to people. I'm not your martyr. And I know that that sucks to hear, but you're not actually doing anyone any favors. I have a couple of friends that I had to break up with over the years because they were they needed to be needed so badly that they were creating reasons in my life to serve me. And I was like, I don't want any of that. I understand your intention, but you're doing it to to change our relationship a little bit, to be up here and be the one that's, I can't, I can't have that. That's not comfortable for me. And it's not, you're not actually helping me because I don't need this. I like that. Uh, often I will tell, there's some people in my life you know, we always have those people in our lives. It's like, Oh, let me help. Let me help. Let me help. And it's with good intention sometimes Mm -hmm. that they want to help, but it's, 
I want to learn. And the only way I'm going to learn is by doing something firsthand. So yes, can you do it? And could you do it faster? Probably. And there's times that I'm going to delegate that out. You know, we were, I've, I've listened to your podcast a few times and we've talked about delegating out certain tasks. Podcast editor does all of my editing for me. Exactly. Very, very happy for that person. (laughs) Um, But there's other times where it's like, I want to learn it. I want to get involved in it. And there's sometimes that I don't want to be stripped of that opportunity. Yeah. And so there's the balance, right? Where do you want to learn and grow? And where do you want to increase your resilience by increasing your resources by asking for help? Both of those are okay. They're both part of life. But I feel like we're trying to live on sort of one side or the other and we just stay there. And there's a much more fluid opportunity here for us to sort of move through. In this instance, I want it this way. In that instance, I want it another way. And and that's fine. That's hard for us to, that's another boundary, really. It's another internal boundary instead of the external one where I, I get really stuck on this internal boundary thing because I, I don't know that anyone else that's talking about it. And I think we're missing a really massive opportunity because once you have these internal boundaries set, once you're not overgiving and overserving and overinvolved, the external boundaries become much easier to set. Because you trust yourself more to meet your own needs. You start trusting other people more. So you get to this place where you're like, oh, I can tell them what I really want and need. And it will be fine because they're adults and they're okay. Because I can trust what I want and need and tell myself that and I'm an adult and I'm okay. So you you learn it internally and then the external becomes so much easier. If I read on Instagram one more time, no is a complete sentence. I will throw something at a wall. No is a complete sentence. And like most of the time it's not. Sometimes it is. But most of the time, if you do that, you're acting like an electric fence. You're zapping people. And there's just no no need. Like mm-hmm. we offer each other grace when we are invited to share stories. Sometimes you just have to say no and move on. Somebody is a narcissist. Somebody's toxic. There's a bad situation. Fine. But sometimes if you grant people the opportunity to know what's happening in your world a little bit, it's so much easier for that person to give you grace. And you might think, well, they should give me grace anyway, because that's the right thing to do. But to be honest, you don't do it for other people most likely, because that's not really how humans are construed. So if somebody cuts you off on a highway, your initial reaction is, oh my God, that jerk. But if you find out the next day that that guy that cut you off on the highway was rushing to the hospital because his son was just hit by a car, you're like, oh my God, I hope he made it. So if if we want to say no graciously, And protect our generosity, which I think that's what boundaries are for, protecting your ability to be generous in the areas that you really enjoy being generous, instead of spilling generosity into all the areas where it's just not really wanted or necessary or useful. If you really want to protect your generosity well, and you want to say no to certain things, and you grant people the opportunity to hear a piece of your story, most likely you're going to get that grace from people. Mm -hmm. We've got to give them that chance. So if you're just like, no, and then you walk away, you're not giving people that opportunity. Some people don't deserve it. 
That's fine. But oftentimes... I want to dig into this a little bit because mm. one of the challenges in finding the balance because of this is when you provide perspective as to what's going on in your life, oftentimes people will be more empathetic, gracious, supportive, all of those things. And then there's the other challenge where some people, where they start to go in, well, I've got this going on, I've got this, and it becomes like doomsday. And then they start to put guilt on themselves. So talk about balancing those two. Who's putting guilt on themselves in this situation? Sometimes it's them, their their own self. They start to go in this like self-sabotaging, well, I got to pick my kids up and then I've got to go to work. And then they, they just start listing off all of these things that, that they need to do. And then what could sometimes happen is the other person's going, yeah, I got the same stuff going on in my life too. And then it creates that like, well, do you have more going on than I do? Or the person that's saying all these reasons why they can't, it's almost as they're doing this like self-shaming, self-guilt, self-judgment. Yeah. So we don't do all the reasons. Yeah. Giving people a glimpse is what we're talking about here. We're not talking about like sharing an entire life story and the glimpse should refer to not necessarily the action that you need to perform, but the value that's behind it. So instead of saying, I have to pick up my kids from school, you say, a long time ago, I prioritized being there for my kids when they get home from school. That's my priority, right? And And that's the difference. So what we're talking about is offering people a view of your boundaries, your values, and your priorities. When people know what your values and your priorities are, they very infrequently question them. When you complain that you have lots of things to do, you are not getting anybody's graciousness because the whole world is busy, just like you said. So this is not about a litany of complaints. It's about sharing a value, sharing a priority. That's enough. Sometimes it is sharing a little bit more of the story. My mother got sick last week. We weren't expecting it. It's thrown my entire schedule into chaos. Sometimes that's okay. But those are factual events. Usually, I do not ask people to include the emotional state of the story that they're sharing. Those are two very different things. People can be deserving of the facts of your story without being deserving of your emotions. So it's about sitting down and sort of sorting through, well, what's factual here? What can I state in an even way that is true, that is resonant, and that relates to my values? without going into sob story. It also gives people the opportunity to get to know you more. A hundred percent. What you prioritize in your life. What's important to you when you really tie it to that, those values. Yeah. How easy you, when you were on fried, you said that one of your priorities during the day is to not have anything on your schedule when your children come home Mm -hmm. from school. Right. 
If everybody in your life knows this, they automatically block out that time slot in your day. They don't call you at that time. They don't, not because you're totally unavailable and not because, but because you said, this is what is important to me. It's really easy for people to get on board with stuff like that. That's an, that's an easy thing to see. Like, oh, okay, you're not available then because you're doing this thing. Okay. That's the whole story. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like, oh, because I don't see my kids enough because they're at school all day and because I'm working and then I have to work after they get home. And then, no, all you said was, I really enjoy being present and being there when they get home. Yeah, that's it. That's the boundary without saying a yeah, boundary. without going. Yeah. Without setting boundary, without saying all the other things that are going on, it's just, and there's, yeah. And there, and those, there's a few things in my life where I've said between the hour at 1130, they get home. I, it's blocked out 30 minutes. I'm there to welcome them with a smile. And then I go on a walk with my kids every single day when I'm done with work. And those are, that's important to me. That's it. And it's okay. Yeah. And what happens? People leave you alone during that time. Why? Because they know. But you didn't say, I'm not going to talk to you during this time because I'm busy because my kids are important. You know, like you didn't, you didn't state it in like a, a boundary way. Well, this is my boundary because these are my values. So no, no, no. This is how I prioritize my time. And this is what's really important to me. I like the phrase of what you said is a long time ago, I made a commitment to. So mm-hmm. a long time ago, I made a commitment to go on a walk with my kids and have that period of time where I just get to enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. That's it. And you can put that with anything in life, whatever and- that is. And it's also knowing that if people do uh, call during that time and and there are some people in my life that have this kind of expectation on as to how frequently or quickly I should answer the phone because that's what they do. But I don't have my phone tethered to me and I choose to Mm -hmm. not have it tethered Mm -hmm. so that when I'm with someone, I get to be present. Yeah. And that now I know that about you. So if I called you and you didn't pick up, I would immediately think, oh, she doesn't live with her phone tethered to her. She'll get back to me when she has the space. Mm -hmm. But our behavior sets our boundaries more than our words do. A hundred percent. And I would say to that is, and this is when I would often work with my, with my team is if you are constant, if you're in sales or if you're in a leadership, or even if you're an entrepreneur, if you are constantly responding to emails after hours, then people are going to reach out to you After After hours, hours. or they're going to expect that you're going to respond because you've done it previously. And so there are times where if you are working late, I'm going to give you one little tip out there. If you are working late, there is this feature on Outlook. It's called delay delivery. And so there'd be times I, my team and I made a commitment when I was with my former company that we wouldn't email each other past six o'clock or I prefer five reasonable hour. And if you did happen to be working that late, that's absolutely fine. You're on the road. You want to get caught up. That's fine. You can delay delivery, the email to the next day. So that two things, you're not dinging somebody else during their family time. Um, as well as 
you're not teaching them that you are constantly going to be responding and that you're constantly on the email. You're, you're creating a space Mm -hmm. by your behavior. But this is why we do the internal boundaries first, because it shifts your behavior when you're with people. And then the other boundaries become easier. Well, you have shared so much valuable advice on overcoming burnout. And really what I like about the things that you've talked about is so different than what you see out there in mainstream is a just say no and you know, create these parameters. But the reality is, is it really starts with the internal stuff. So what are three things you want our list? You want to leave our listeners with what advice would you give them? Number one, look around for things in your life that other people could be doing for themselves. If you have a 10 year old and you're still picking out their clothes, stop it. Right. If you have a seven year old and you're still making them breakfast, honestly, stop it. Unless you really love doing that. Unless that's like your thing. Cool. But if you hate it, stop it. The next thing that we didn't talk about today, but is critical, is make your environment feel as safe and as cozy as possible. It's really, really hard to recover from burnout when you don't feel safe. Safety is of the utmost importance. The reason why we work on the internal boundaries first is this same thing. You need to start feeling safe within your own skin, within your own body, because that's where the nervous system comes into play and allows you to heal. So number one, get out of people's way. Number two, create safety. And number three, this is a big statement, but Find ways to see your value as inherent to the fact that you exist instead of being attached to something you do or perform or provide. Say that one more time. Try to find a way, and this might require counseling or self-compassion books by Kristen Neff, by Dr. Kristen Neff, or there's, you know, there's a lot of ways, but understanding that your value is inherent and intrinsic and that your value is not associated with the things you give, the things you provide, the things you perform, the ways you help is critical to your ability to have long-term well-being, not just avoid burnout, but even just to be well. Well, thank you so much for joining today's podcast. I can speak to you for hours. <laughs> and we have been for, speaking for hours today. We have actually, yes, we did two back-to-back episodes. <laughs> I was on hers and she was on mine. So uh, where can our listeners find you? Because of course I will include the links in the show notes, but tell us where they can find you as well. I think the best place for everybody to find me is the podcast. That's where all the best information is. And that's where all the links to everything everyone needs to have are. So the podcast is fried, the burnout podcast, and you can listen to it anywhere you listen. And then everything is connected through there. Well, that makes it very easy. (laughs) So I will include the link to her podcast. I definitely invite you to tune in. I have thoroughly enjoyed binging this podcast um, and the tools and tips that I've taken away have started to implement and already experiencing uh, overcoming some of that burnout. So thank you for tuning in. And for those of you out there, create an intentional day.
thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Grit Podcast with Danielle Cobo. If you found today's episode resonating and inspiring, kindly take a moment to craft a review. Your review holds the potential for Apple and Spotify to share the Unstoppable Grit Podcast with others. Furthermore, consider extending the ripple effect by sharing this episode with those around you, family, friends, colleagues, and anyone who could benefit from the insights and stories shared here. Also, be sure to visit daniellecobo.com for more resources on cultivating resilience and unleashing your inner grit. We'll be back soon with another empowering episode. Until then, be unstoppable.